was interesting in the sense how if you focus on the cash, you actually focus on a whole series of other things too, because it actually feeds into client relationships, it feeds into internal administration, it feeds into efficiency, it feeds into how you think about who you want to do business with. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Private Equity Power Talks podcast. I'm your producer, Richard Ayliff. In this episode, we continue our series of exploring executive director functions outside of the CEO role. We are joined by Adrian Gardner, who will be sharing his experiences in a position that, in the eyes of PE, often runs parallel in importance and accountability to that of the CEO role. It is, of course, the role of the Chief Financial Officer. Adrian is currently CRO at Stonehaven Fleming, an independent advisor to some of the world's leading families and wealth creators. Previously, Adrian has held several CFO roles, most notably at PE-backed IPES, who themselves provided fund administration to European PE houses. Adrian helped take that business through a trade exit in 2019, generating a 3.8 times multiple for the exiting investor's silver fleet. In this podcast, we'll discuss how to manage the transition from the FD to the CFO role, the importance of building a strong partnership with your CEO, and how to professionalise the finance function under PE ownership. Now, over to Sam and Adrian. So in this podcast, we are continuing the theme in talking to executive directors of private equity-backed portfolio businesses. So we've uh, we've done technology, we've done operations, and now with our guest today, Adrian Gardner, we're going to cover the role of the CFO, and we're going to be we're going to be doing a whistle-stop tour of uh, uh, a finance director to CFO under private equity ownership, CFO business partnering, and developing that business partner relationship with the CEO, um, and uh, really sort of professionalising the finance function under private equity ownership. So, Adrian, lovely to see you. Thank you for joining us, and lovely to be here. Um, why don't we start with um, you landing into your first private equity back CFO role and I suppose the sort of observations that you had in terms of the sort of vast differences between uh, you know, the public listed environment which you've been in and into now a smaller but private equity backed environment. What were the differences for you? I, I think the the first obvious difference is that there's a, a different cycle between the PLC and the private equity backed. So in PLC, you're doing your six monthly results. You're having to tell that story about regular growth. Uh, each six months matters. The progress matters. Whereas within PE, um, the investor will quite often... Uh, accept a, a, a different approach to the cycle. The, sort of the, the near-term result doesn't matter if the path is the path that should be being followed, uh-huh. and that if you take a typical P level of ownership or, or um, individual asset ownership running for say three to seven years, you're sort of thinking about how you're building that story over typically say a five-year period, as opposed to how you actually is on that treadmill of um, results to results to results to results. Yeah. Tell, tell us about the environment that you came into uh, uh, in the first role. Tell us a little bit about the business and 
Um, I guess what what your brief was, and then we'll talk more broadly about the role of a CFO in P. Sure. So I, I've, I had a number of roles that were in companies that looked a little bit like they were backed by P, but the, probably the the one that was um, sort of most relevant for this purpose is a firm called IPES. So IPES was a small business backed by Silverfleet. It was uh, a private equity administrator. So it was backed by PE and its business was uh, doing the administration for PE funds. In that sense, it was all sort of quite incestuous. We sort of <laughs> knew the world of what was going on and seeing other PE firms. Uh, it was um, headquartered in Guernsey, so it was a Channel Island sort of typical um, private equity tax-based structure. But actually, because private equity funds themselves are often structured in the Channel Islands, it was headquartered in the Channel Islands. Um, but my role was based in London, and I had the finance team in London, and we did actually most of our work from London. Mm-hmm. And what what would you say? Uh, you're ex- you know this is you're, you're now into your mm. your second P about business with Stone Age Fleming. Um, your CFO, but also COO, so you've, you've got yep. a broader role. But um, we, we've got lots of finance directors and CFOs in our executive community, some of them doing it for the very first time. So I mean, how, how would you really sort of describe the difference in role in in a, in a PE-backed environment versus a, a listed or privately owned business? Yeah. The, clearly, the, the shareholding base is different, and the requirements of the shareholders are different. In a PLC, it's rare to have a substantial shareholder. So in that sense, the board is the determiner of the strategy of the business, the direction of travel. The way that the board is served is different because you're doing the regular number of board meetings per annum. Um, They're not necessarily people who have come with a preconceived view as to what their strategy should be or uh, what their, uh, like the, the, the broader purpose and philosophy would be behind why this asset is what it is. In the PE world, um, you would typically find that the PE firm has got an investment philosophy. You know, they're investing in this business not just to own it, they're investing to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And they understand why they think value will be created by doing something with it. So you've got people on the board who are, one, owners, and in that sense have got a much bigger financial commitment to the business that you would find with PLC directors. You've also got people who feel that they have got a very significant and important input into the strategy of the business and what the business should be doing. Mm-hmm. And that um, they, for them, this is their lifeblood. So it really matters. And unlike uh, like an unhappy PLC investor who ultimately sells down their shares because they move on to something else, because they've got something else in the sector they can move on to, mm-hmm that option is not available in the same way to a PE owner. So they have to get in and fix it. So the relationship with the PE directors becomes really quite important because they need not to fulfill an executive role. You know, that's what your CFO and your chief executive are there to do. They fill the, um, the executive role. Uh, and they, the PE house needs to trust you to do that. But you need to be able to give them the access to allow them to understand why you're doing what you're doing and then how what you're doing, what you're doing, how that joins up with the broader strategic philosophy that was part of the thesis behind their investment in the first place. Yeah. So the stakeholder management is just completely different. Yep. And actually the CFO role is the point of contact yes. or primary point of contact for that that stakeholder matter? Uh, I, I think would say it's a dual-headed thing. Um, the, the, CEO, chief, the, the chief executive, um, that's in many ways the first water call. So mm-hmm. the, the, the private equity firm would typically go in for different things into different places. 
Um, but uh, my experience has been that there is probably more contact on the cycle of a month or a quarter between CEO and PS than there is between CFO and PS. But as ever with these things, it's pretty important. We'll come to the relationship later, but it's pretty important the CEO knows what you're telling them yeah. and is not blindsided by what you're telling yeah. them. But you may well be talking to a different person within yeah. within the private equity fund. I mean, the CEO yeah. relationship, they'll both be on your board, probably yes. these individuals, but you might interface with one individual more yes. and the CEO may interface with, with another, you know, Correct. the deal partner or the portfolio yes. partner. Yep. Absolutely. And uh, the expectations, I suppose, the sort of priorities are slightly different. I mean, the, yep. the person that the CEO is facing into is thinking about value creation and exit planning and, you know, where we, how are we going to create the value and, and how are we going to exit this business effectively? Mm-hmm. And maybe the person you're facing into is much more about governance, reporting, you know, are we, uh, is this, what, what are the risks uh, this business is exposed to? And, you know, can we see quite simply that this business is being well managed and is on track? And I, I guess if, if if there's some cloudiness around that, that's when the relationship can change or can come under pressure with the CFO. It's quite, it's quite, it's quite subtle, I think, in its way. But actually, I think for a CFO to do well, say there are two be directors on the board and you say there's the one who led the portfolio investment and there's typically a second partner. It's almost as important for the CFO to have that relationship with the portfolio and investment director yeah. and not to be seen almost as the sort of the junior party within this. Mm-hmm. So I have typically set it up that if it is sort of direct questions about the financials or performance or any of those things, actually they talk to my team as much as they talk to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that sort of allows the management to be to be seen as that sort of joined up cohesive thing that actually faces out in the right way. Yeah. A point you made earlier, they don't want to run the company, do they? They want to invest in the business, see that it's well managed on the value creation plan yep. and on the, on the trajectory towards... Just just sometimes it sort of feels like they do want to run the company yeah. and finding ever such a nice way to sort of get them back where, smart, where they should be. Smart is, question. Is yeah. So, so, the, so stakeholder management and, yep. um, and governance and risk management, what, what are the other elements of the role that make it so different? Uh, it, it comes a little bit back to the cycle. So yeah. it's... Uh, there's probably a greater focus. So, so it comes back to the cycle. The cycle is really important. And if you can explain why investment is needed, particularly early in the cycle, or you explain why um, like results may not look stellar to begin with because they're going to look better into the future and you're building that trend and you're actually understanding how the profile of the business will look and therefore what, whether it will hit the, the type of trigger points that the owner wants to see. Mm-hmm. That, that, that profile is quite different. So how you think about managing the P&L and how you think about managing the, the business plan and the equity story is, is different. Uh, I think the other thing which is very clearly different is the importance of cash. Because uh, of the debt? Um, actually, the businesses I've been associated with haven't had sig- significant debt. I've mostly been in professional services, and and in those businesses, you don't want to be levered too highly. Mm. So we've managed to keep it. The, the debt levels have been relatively modest, uh, or at least the senior debt external debt has been relatively modest. Sometimes the internal capital structure can look a little bit um, uh, debt-like. Uh, but the um, if you're looking at the standard type of PE multiples and money on money multiples or um, IRRs and they tend to prefer cash on cash or money on money. Um, that sort of matters. And in a professional services business, working capital is a 
it's just an important metric. And actually, it was when I went into IPES, it was one of my first and what I was given as one of the most important challenges was get the working capital sorted out because it wasn't in the right place. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting in the sense how if you focus on the cash, you actually focus on a whole series of other things too, because it actually feeds into client relationships, it feeds into internal administration, it feeds into efficiency, mm. it feeds into how you think about who you want to do business with. So we did fix working capital, we did a very good job with working capital as it happened, uh, and it had an awful lot of spin-off benefit. And it was again, when it came to an exit process, it was surprising quite how many um, of the prospective purchasers could see that the business was being run administratively well. It allowed the process to be shorter and tighter. Mm -hmm. Give us give us some of those top tips for managing uh, uh, working capital and cash yeah, flow well, effectively. It, it, it depends a little bit on the size of the business sure. because a smaller business, it's easy to get your arms around it. And IPES was a relatively smaller business. Um, uh, so a, a previous business I was associated with was an accounting firm, um, RSM Tannen, which was in quite a challenged place when I joined it. And so cash again there was really important. You make it important to people. So I, in both of those businesses, both IPES and RSM Tannen, um, I had a weekly meeting with um, all of the business leads. We had all of the debtor list out. We had cash flow by week um, going forward. And it was literally, as you know, when is this one going to get collected? When is this one going to collect it? Mm -hmm. You know, I need more cash this month. What What are you going to do to bring the cash in? We produce a lot of MI. Um, we'll come back to the sort of the structure of a finance team, but the importance of commercial finance, being able to produce good MI, is really important. So people could see, uh, we ran little competitions, we had a whole sort of reinforcing thing. And if you make it sufficiently important to people that they take note um, and you sit quite hard on those debts that aren't getting collected and the consequences of not collecting debt. Yeah. It, it's it, it just needs a lot of effort. Yeah. The um the churn rate of finance directors and CFOs in private equity is pretty shocking, isn't it? And I'm talking to a man that's on his on his second role and has had many years working with private equity. Mm. Um but um why why is it so shocking? Um uh, probably because there are different types of CFO for different types of activity. Um, uh, for better or for worse, um, talking to you know, those in the search world or the people that I know, I've become seen as somebody who helps with change. And if you have a P investment made and the thesis is that something needs to change, so either m and changes or the activities need to change or there's an opportunity to extend mm -hmm. the products and services set that are offered, um, that isn't always the easiest thing to do. So um, having somebody who has done that before, who knows what change looks like, um, can be a, you know, a really useful, helpful thing to bring into a firm, uh, which is a little bit different from the PLC, which is more in terms of sort of the steady state and uh, running things as they have been. I, I think the you, you see, um, as I say, different flavors of CFO. And um, if you come back to your earlier question about quite what it is that is the difference between a PLC CFO and a, uh, and a PE-backed CFO, you'll often find that the PE firm coming in will recognize there's an opportunity to do something, but the opportunity to do something requires fresh management as part of it. So 
there's a you, you see quite often um, both a CEO and a CFO change just because they that's what's required to deliver something which is different from what the strategy was before. Yeah, but I think also it's um, it's a case that the sort of CFO is is the point of relationship with building sort of trust and confidence with the private equity fund yeah. that mm-hmm. the business is being well managed. Yeah. Um, you know, and the reporting cycles are right and the risk and governance is strong. Mm. And as soon as they get a sense that it's not <laughs> because maybe the priorities aren't understood within the incumbent finance director or CFO, the, the priorities of the private equity firm aren't understood yep. in the mindset of the FD and CFO, then they can fall down some um, or fall into some bear traps pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, I agree with that. And it's a, again, it's one of those differences to the PLC where there's sort of less of it, which is evident to the investors in the business. Yeah. Um, the board may see it, depending a little bit on how the board thinks about governance, but it doesn't typically carry quite the same weight in quite the same way. So quite a lot of our members, um, CFO, FD-orientated, FD-orientated um, mm-hmm. exec members uh, in PEP Talks um, are on this sort of transition. They've... Um, they're experienced in private equity, so actually they've they've worked for someone like you, yeah. um, and they've gone through cycles and they've actually facilitated and particip- mm. participated in exits, and lots of reporting into the private equity fund. So they've got an awful lot of, of fantastic experience, mm. but they're having to now. They may be in the first CFO role or they're the the, the CFO successor, and they're making that transition. Mm-hmm. And I think it's quite a difficult transition to make because if you've if you've been in the job of finance director in a private equity business, you sort of think, well, this is this is it. But actually, the transition up to CFO is is very different, isn't it? Yes. And, uh, how why how is it different? Uh, I think you can you can think about it in a, in a number of different ways. Um, the uh, so in one way you can think about it is that the CFO is on the board, the FD often is not. That uh, you know, certainly in the UK culture, you typically find two executives on the board, the, the CEO and the CFO, and there's a reason why the CFO is on the board. And if you're sitting on a board, you need to be a fully-fledged, valuable member of the board that other board members want to listen to. Mm. So there's that metric around who is seen as being able to communicate what's happening with the strategy of the company, what's happening with development, what we're doing next, and so on. And it brings in, in a sense, part of what I look at as a, as a second difference, which is that um, the FD often spends more time effectively looking backwards, whereas the CFO needs to spend a lot more time looking forwards. So the, the FD may produce a set of management accounts and say, you know, what we do, wonderful, here's your set of management accounts, this is how we did this month. Um, I regard management accounts as a forward-looking document because it tells you what you need to do differently. Mm. And therefore, the insight that is coming from the numbers or is coming from how the business is performing, whether the variances to what you were expecting were ones that you were expecting, ones that you'd already educated the board about, in which case it's fine, we're fixing it. It's just, you know, it's where it is, as opposed to there's a new variance, you know, sales variance isn't where you were expecting it to be. Mm. That is telling you about what you need to do next. So it's that it's the ownership of the, if you like, the sort of the delivery of the strategy, um, which becomes so important. And um, uh, this may be a little bit, uh, or feel a little bit off point. But when I've run finance departments, I've always 
run at least two separate pillars coming into me as CFO. Mm-hmm. So I had a commercial finance pillar and a, and a financial controllership pillar. And when you have that, the financial controllership pillar can do all of the backward-looking bits. So they do the accounting and the reporting and the financial control environment and the accounts payable, accounts receivable and expenses and mm-hmm. um, the financial control manual and all those things. Fine. Um, whereas the commercial finance piece is around um, FB&A financial planning analysis, it's around business intelligence and MI, it's, it's around um, all of the aspects, and finance business partnering in particular, it's around all of those aspects that are actually helping the business look forward. Um, so if you have that type of split in finance and a finance leadership team to bring it together, what you start to create is a very strong focus on the MI that allows the business to deliver the things in the future that it needs to deliver. It allows you to understand where you make your money, why you make your money, why you want to do more of it. It allows you to actually really get to the heart of capital allocation. And if you think of the, one of the board's jobs, capital allocation is about as important as it comes, be it human or um, financial capital or other types of capital. Mm-hmm. You need to be able to support a detailed and um, sort of in-depth discussion about the hows and the whys, which is all the forward-looking piece. Mm. And that comes out of having a strong and fully-fledged commercial finance business. Um, and I find that FDs, who's like still in FD mode, probably haven't quite got to that place of understanding the value of commercial finance, because without that, you're effectively um, hampering yourself. Yeah. You said at the beginning of that um, answer that I think I think this is mm. a, quite a big part of the challenge is you're on the board, you're a mm. board member now, and you need to be a board member that the management team, the rest of the management team really listen to. And um, you know I can think of a conversation I've had with a member and and that was that was very much part of their issue in that they'd been in the business for a long time and they were stepping up into that CFO role and they were sort of saying, you know we're I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to sort of really push my view across the table here because there's just, there's there's some elements of this plan and strategy in other functions that I don't agree with. Um, I mean, what sort of advice would you give to someone like that, just to sort of put themselves in a position where they where they yep. do step up and they are they become that valuable it, member? It's uh, it, it's a very good question and very hard one to answer well because other than effectively saying you know make sure you've got something worth saying because otherwise don't say it but you need to say something because you're a senior member of management and you're sitting at the board uh, i remember very clearly um the, the first plc where i was um cfo uh, the, the head of one of the units turned to me in a board meeting and said it's very hard to get a word in edgeways here <laughs> I think, yes because nobody wants to listen to you <laughs> so whenever he started somebody else would talk over the top uh so that that sense of understanding what it is you are going to communicate if it's coming to, and now's the time for the CFO report. What is it they're going to want to hear? Why is it they're going to want to hear it? Uh, Why is it going to be interesting? It can't just be reportage. Reportage is dull. You can have that. You can read it ahead of time. That's not what the the board meeting's around. What are the things that need active discussion? Um, So there is that sense of being clear about the agenda and the value add of the content, but also recognising that you need to have that content you should never be a passive person in a meeting uh i'm effectively entirely self-taught uh, as in i've learned on the job so this mm-hmm. isn't something you get fire management training and i've found that m- making sure you are exposed to things that you're in key meetings that the chief executive wants to take you along that you are 
very acutely aware of what people are saying and why mm. and putting yourself mentally into their shoes as to why do they say that mm. or what do they mean by that or how should we respond to something because it didn't feel like quite the right place to be mm. um, that t- type of learning of if they said that they must have a reason for doing it and then you see something else that happens that flows from it you go ah okay now I see so and then you're able to replicate it so one of my um, favorite expressions is experience is what you get after you needed it. And it's sort of like any situation you're in, there's an opportunity to gain some experience. Just lap it all up, tuck it away, because you never know when you're going to need it again. Yeah. Okay. That point moves us quite nicely on to my next question, which is... Um, if, we, if we continue with that idea of a finance director stepping up to become the CFO and a really big important part of, of being a CFO is becoming the business partner to the mm. CEO. I and mean, that's yeah. great um, management teams under private mm. equity ownership. Usually at the heart of them, you have a CEO, CFO relationship, a yep. business partner relationship. I suppose first question is, what does business partnering look like as a CFO? Mm-hmm. And the second question is, how, as a, as a first-time CFO, can you just make sure that you are doing all you can to develop the, the right sort of business partner relationship with your yep. CEO. Yeah. Um, I think, so I, I've had a, a, a number of CEO relationships that have worked well and one or two that have worked slightly less well. So in a sense, I've tried to adopt my own philosophy of uh, gaining from the experience of the ones that didn't go well to try to understand what you need to do. Um, I, I have found that, uh, that it, there's basically there's nothing like communication. Um, and if you were, if I was doing a second thing to go with communication, it would be being strategically aligned. So I have heard people say, you know, the CEO comes with all sorts of bright ideas and the CFO finds good reasons not to do them. Mm. I'm not in that camp at all. If the CEO finds bright things to do, the chances are I think they're bright things to do and we'll find a way to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, the the communication thing, um, so with my CEO, I always have at least a meeting once a week, if not more than once a week. Uh, we have a very open dialogue. So we're very clear about responsibilities. And so I know what I'm able to do. I know what he wants to see. I'm very careful to ensure that if there's something that's going on that may be um, a negative or maybe a concern or maybe something which is bubbling up that he's made aware of it. Um, I, I think it's it would be un, untrue to say we speak most days, but if, at times it feels like we speak most days. And um, he trusts me and allows me to do my stuff and so where you are fully strategically joined up in essence a senior person in the business can come to him or come to me and ask us a question we'll get the same answer Mm. because we think in a way which is quite similar and that thinking in a way which is quite similar has come from just spending time together and talking about things um, and talking about business and talking about people and talking about challenges and talking about people you may need to move to somewhere else or difficult clients or a a situation which is building and you're looking for all of those sort of common points or the sort of the common business philosophy but then underneath that there's then all the things um, around how you would run a business Uh, so it's a small example I happen to know that my CEO doesn't like doing um, out of period salary adjustments occasionally somebody leaves occasionally need to be able to deal with the fact that you've got somebody who's really important to you who's being offered more money somewhere else and you respond to it but you might respond to that by offering them a bonus 
which is payable at the time of the next salary increase and then effectively give them a salary increase at the next point mm -hmm. because that way you haven't actually gone away from the principle of doing your salary increases at set points in the year um, but you're actually dealt with the individual concern of the person who might otherwise leave so it's it's that type of thing where if the head of HR is coming to me saying we've got a challenge with this person I know how to respond and I can give that response in lieu of the CFO of the CEO and they would get exactly their own response of the CEO if they weren't there. Mm -hmm. So there's sort of operational management, you know, trusting yes. the, C the CEO, trusting you operationally with, with you know, the, the functions that you're responsible and it, for. And there's a, there's a challenge in that sense, there's a challenge on the CEO as well, because they yeah. have to trust you. And if they don't, it's really hard to be an effective CFO, yeah. actually. Um, and it's it's not quite Prime Minister and Chancellor type of territory where there is a very clear wall between number 10 and number 11 in Downing Street. But this is one where, um, it, you, you know, if need be, you need to say, you know, I've got this, this is this is my patch, I'm, I'm dealing with it. Yeah. I've got it. Yeah, I think yeah, my observation um, is, I think that's that point is really pertinent in that, you know, to have, uh, to develop that really strong, uh, from a finance director's perspective, mm. stepping up to be the CFO and business partner to a CEO, mm. is that you get on the front foot in terms of um, um, leading the conversation. Don't wait for the CEO to ask you your yeah. your your point of view or opinion in a certain area. You know, they're yeah. expecting you to come to them yes. and provide value into running and managing yeah. the business. Um, Particularly if it's your area of influence, but even where it's not. So, for example, as I, said, I, I don't run any of the front office teams, the client-facing teams, because that's not my job. Um, but I've got views, yeah. and I share them, and share them quite happily. And quite often it comes down to people, or it comes down to structure, or it comes down to you know, how we are thinking about developing the business. Yeah. And it's, it's got to be in a sort of element of challenge in there as well, mm. doesn't it? You know, you're, um, <laughs> you don't want to be that CFO that tries to put the brakes on everything, mm. but... You know, you do approach things from a from a different business perspective, and providing the right level of challenge and, and debate in across the board, not just with the CEO, mm. but across the board, to ensure that the board is coming to the right decision. I think it's quite hard. It's quite important not to be seen as putting a break on things. Mm. So, you, so sort of, you see, often seen as a CFO who seems to bring a break on things as a CFO, I think who is not actually doing the job that they should be doing. Uh, the CFO role is almost more of a, of a facilitator. So if the process has worked, so you're wanting to make an investment, you need to have gone through the business case, you need to have created all the documentary support, you need to understand how it fits into the strategy. And if all of those things work, um, this is the right thing to do, at which point your job is no more than facilitation. Mm -hmm. So um, it's only where some part of the process has not worked as it should have done that you're actually needing to intervene in order to cause things to be done differently or to, to cause things not to occur. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Um, sort of last question, I think, um, just around building finance functions and mm. teams, mm -hmm. um, newly private equity-backed businesses, that's you know, that's a sort of um, first job on the job list. <laughs> Make sure we've got the, the capability and the finance function uh, beyond the finance director or CFO, way way down the function yep. to do what we need to do. I'm just uh, what 
how do you approach that or how has your approach developed uh, as you've developed your CFO experience? What do you look for in people uh, in direct reports? Um, It's a very good question and a very important question and there's no one cookie cutter answer. Um, For for me as CFO to be as effective as I can be, I need to be out of the day-to-day detail. Um, I've never entered a journal in my life. I wouldn't know how to enter a journal. Uh, and it'd be a very bad thing if I did try to enter a journal because it would suggest that something else isn't working where it should be. Uh, the So I need people who are smart, who, in that sense, who, who get it. People who um, I can trust. So there's a whole thing about how you build trust and that comes with competence and um, people actually delivering on deadline and delivering what they will say and being predictable and reliable and um, in that sense managing a team that is good beneath them. Um, you need uh, people who um, are interested in growing as individuals because a lot of the role of the CFO is to mentor the next layer down yeah. and to bring them forward and to make them um, to give them an, like an interesting and active career, but also one where they grow as, as, as people and become more valuable um, everywhere they go. So, uh, it's, if you sort of come back slightly to one of the places we were earlier, uh, I have like a number of centres of excellence sitting sitting around two pillars, sitting around the financial control pillar and the, the commercial finance pillar. Um, uh, typically. Um, Commercial finance is not well understood in the businesses I've been in, so I've typically needed to recruit a head of commercial finance uh, or put somebody into that role who wasn't in that role before. Uh, Typically, the MI is not as good as it should be, so you need to build that, um, and that is the lifeblood. There is a perception, I think, that um, in PE-backed businesses, uh, a lot of it is around profit and cash and building margin, and that therefore anything that's got a cost sign on it is a bad thing, and that I think is a big fallacy mm. that actually in finance if you need extra heads or you need to invest in capability actually you, you get that paid back hand over fist yeah um we mentioned um ipas earlier business which um i took through to um to ultimate trade sale and um it was a smallish business and there were about 10 people in finance when i joined it and there were 18 when i finished so I'd increased the size of the plant by 80%, mm. and quite a lot of those were in trims because I had very little time to fix things. Um, and it was one where the PE house quite happily let me do it because they could see the benefits that were coming through in terms of the quality of information and, the, in a sense, the ability to allow ourselves to get prepped for sale mm. and how it was actually contributing to building margin and actually the improvement in in EBITDA margin was very notable over 18 months because the business was better structured. We actually understood what we needed to do, what we were selling that sold well, where we were making more margin, how we were running our client affairs better and so on. Um, and all of that fed through to price. And then when we sold at a 17 times multiple, you look at the 17 times multiple on you know, the growth in profitability and it absolutely dwarfed the tiny little cost of, actually they all got swept off in exceptionals anyway because it was a cost that was associated with getting ready for sale. Yeah. Well, Adrian, thank you for that. That was it's my pleasure. That was great. Um, I hope uh, if, if one of our listeners... Um, is a finance director CFO making this transition? Mm. I'm sure they can reach out to absolutely. me and Pep yeah. Talks, and, and we'll happily put them in touch with yeah, you if they want to, if they want a sort happy. of sounding board. But yeah, 
yeah, when you when you get to be old enough and ugly enough, one of the things you have left to do in life is to try and help others. And um, that's very much, as I've mentioned mentorship before, it's one of the things that I'm, uh, I think it's a really important thing to do. Perfect. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you.